What do you do when discouragement sets in and hope seems to be lost? How do you handle that? How do you navigate that experience, that tension between discouragement and hope? How do you find hope again, even in a time of difficulty? These are questions that we're going to be confronted with today as we continue our teaching series in the book of Exodus. Today we are back in this story, this ancient story about God and his people who were enslaved and God bringing them out into freedom. And today we are back in that story, back in Egypt, and we're going to experience this tension between discouragement and hope right alongside the people who were on the ground in Egypt. And so today we are going to work our way through chapter five all the way until midway through chapter six. And we pick up this story of discouragement and hope in Exodus five, starting in verse one with this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then he said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You sh shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So if you remember last week, we ended with a note of hope. Moses and Aaron, his brother, they arrived in Egypt and they do everything that God told them to do. And everything that God said would happen, happened. They share God's message with God's people and they listened. They performed three miraculous signs before God's people and the people believed and they worshiped and put their trust and their faith in the God who came to rescue them. Just like God said it would happen, it happened. And after last week, it feels like we're finally going to turn a corner in the Exodus story, that a, a new day is here. It is dawning that things are about to change for God's enslaved people. Hope had risen. Faith had been stirred. But as chapter 5 begins, what do we see? Well, we see that the situation in Egypt, it actually gets worse. If you can actually believe it, life for God's people in Egypt gets worse than it's ever been for them in their time in Egypt. This wasn't the way it was supposed to work. God had promised rescue, but now rescue feels even farther away than when chapter 4 ended. It's like this marathon runner who sees the bend in the race coming up and believes the finish line is just going to be around the corner. But when they come to that bend in the corner, they realize the finish line is much farther away than they thought. This is the feeling of God's people right here and right 
now and the one who has moved the finish line farther away, who has made life even harder for God's people is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's the one who's standing in the way of God and what God wants to do. He's the one who's oppressing God's people and holding them captive. And now, he's the one responsible for making their life even harder. His fierce opposition, it comes to the forefront right away in this first encounter between God and Pharaoh. He hears from Moses and Aaron who are speaking for God and what does he do? His response reveals his heart. His response is, who is this Lord that you're talking about? And why would I ever listen to him? And so the first thing we see is that Pharaoh, he has no understanding of who Yahweh, the God of Israel is. He doesn't know him. He doesn't recognize him. And secondly, he's asking, what makes you think I'd ever care about what your God wants me to do? What makes you think I'd ever listen to him and what he says? See, Pharaoh hears from Moses and Aaron and he cannot believe that anyone, let alone this God, would tell him what to do, would challenge his authority. Nobody tells Pharaoh what to do. He's the one who tells people what to do. And so you see this hard heart that we talked about last week start to emerge, this stubborn refusal in Pharaoh to let God's people go. And this is going to persist all the way until chapter 11. And it's only after a plague where the firstborn children of Egypt die that his heart will become soft and he will relent and he will give in to the God who says, let my people go. But right from the, the start, what we see is the battle lines are drawn and the confrontation is between a God who wants good things for his people and will go to great lengths to rescue them and Pharaoh, this representation of an evil authority over people who will do everything in his power to stop what God wants to do from happening. God said it wasn't going to be easy and now we're seeing why. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He scoffs at God and he defies him. How? By making life even harder for God's people. He's been having them make bricks and he's been providing them with straw. But now he says to his slave drivers, no more. I'm not going to provide them any more straw. Now they have to go and gather straw and stubble for themselves. And oh yeah, I'm not even going to change the demand for how many bricks I want them to provide. There's no grace, there's no mercy, just a greater demand of God's people and a heavier workload. And on top of all of that, what happens is that he attacks Moses and he attacks God's people. He calls Moses a liar and God's people lazy. He makes light of their pain and their suffering and he orders his plan to make their life harder into action. Verse 10, so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, 
Your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And so the fallout is swift and it's painful. God's people have to work even harder than before. Their slave masters are breathing down their neck with increased urgency. They are beaten. They can't keep up with Pharaoh's demands. And so they do the one thing that they can do. They cry out and they seek relief. But this time it's not from God that they do that. They cry to Pharaoh this time. But all that does is actually make it worse. Verse 17, but he, Pharaoh, said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And so in response to the cry of God's people, Pharaoh makes fun of them. He calls them lazy and he actually has the audacity to blame them for all that's happening. He's saying, it's your fault, not mine. And so you have to imagine standing there and hearing that, how crushing that would be, how discouraging it would be. The hope and the faith, faith that rose up last week is now replaced by despair and doubt and pain all because of this Pharaoh and all because of his unwillingness to bend to anything or any one. And so right away, as we start to see this confrontation between God and Pharaoh unfold, we start to see uh, this gap widen between who Pharaoh is, who's a res- representative figure of Egypt and its gods and the God of Israel. I don't know if you noticed it, but the way Exodus talks about Uh, God's people crying out to Pharaoh is the same way that it talks about them crying out to God earlier. The same action, but with two different responses, right? Look at this. What happens when God's people cry out to Pharaoh? He didn't hear them. He didn't listen to them. He acted in a way that showed no mercy. But what happened when they called out to God? Well, Exodus tells us back in chapter 2 that God saw, God heard, God knew the pain that they were in, and God acted in mercy to come close and to rescue his people. See, the main character of this story could not be more different than the villain of this story. And we have to hold on to that in Egypt and with Pharaoh when the discouragement hits, when life gets hard, that this God is good even in Egypt. He's good because that's who this God is. We've been trying to know this God better. And so one of the things that Exodus reveals to us is the character of this God. If you fast forward just a little bit later in the story of Exodus, what you see is God spelling out for us his character when he says this to Moses in Exodus 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who God is. This is the main character of the story. He's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's patient, he forgives our mistakes. This is who he is. He is nothing like Pharaoh. But if you were on the ground in Egypt, that would be hard to see and hard to believe, wouldn't it? It really would be hard. And that's what we see begin to happen in verse 20, that the the weight 
of all that the Pharaoh is doing, his lack of mercy starts to fall on God's people and the fallout is big. Verse 20, they, the foremen who went and talked to Pharaoh, met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so not only has Pharaoh started to crush the hope of God's people, he's also causing them to fight amongst themselves. His plan is working. Everything is falling apart. Hope has been dashed and deep discouragement has set in. And we see this with Moses. In verse 22, he turns to God and says, Oh Lord, why have you done this to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh and to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, do you feel the heaviness here, how discouraged and down Moses is? See, the hope he carried into this chapter has been dashed. It's gone. He can't believe that this is how it's turned out. He knew of God's promises. He knew what God had said would happen. And now, in that discouragement, with everything seemingly falling apart before his eyes, Moses turns to God and he blames God for what's happened. He puts his finger in God's chest and says, I told you so, God, didn't I? At the burning bush, I told you this kind of stuff was going to happen. Look at what you've done. You've made everything worse. It's your fault. Why are you making this harder? Why have you done this? You haven't rescued us at all. And again, Moses says, why did you ever send me to do this? It's such a human prayer. It's so honest, so raw, and it's, and it's something that you and I can relate to, is that the hardships of life bring this out of us from time to time. And what I want us to see is that it's actually not a bad thing that Moses goes and does this. In fact, it's a really good thing that he turns to God and he takes his pain and his sorrow and his discouragement to God rather than burying it or ignoring it or trying to numb it. See, what Moses is doing is he's practicing what's called lament. And one writer describes lament like this. He says, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It's this wrestling with the paradox of God's goodness in light of the pain and our circumstances. And this is exactly what Moses is wrestling with here. He knows what's God's promise and yet the promise isn't realized. And how many of, have, of us have prayed like Moses prays here? How many of us have felt angry at God for not coming through in the way we want, when we want? How many of, of us have felt dashed hope and the deep discouragement that comes in the aftermath of that? How many of us have an experience like God's people are described as having in chapter 6, verse 9. It says they have a broken spirit because of the harsh slavery they are experiencing. See, life has a way of breaking our spirits sometimes and bringing us into places of despair and anguish and disillusionment, doesn't it? Live long enough and it's only a matter of time until it does. And Exodus puts that reality of life in Egypt before us and it reminds us that discouragement comes when we arrive there, when life happens. That discouragement is a part of life. And if you dig into this a little bit and you start to understand the sources of discouragement in this story, what you start to see is that the same sources of discouragement that Moses and God's people experience are the same ones that you and I experience in our lives too. 
And so there's two of them that really stand out here. The first one being unmet expectations. See, with Moses, he went to Pharaoh expecting one thing and then something else happened. Maybe he thought that God would orchestrate rescue quickly, that this wouldn't be as hard as it is. And when that didn't happen, discouragement set in. His expectation of God wasn't met and he became deeply discouraged. And this can happen for you and for me as well, that discouragement can come when God doesn't live up to the expectations that we have of him. We want him to bring healing. We want him to restore relationships. We want him to change our circumstances and we want him to do it in the way we want, when we want. And when he doesn't do it, we can become like Moses, discouraged, angry, disillusioned with God and his promises. And the hard truth is, is that this is a reality of a life in Egypt, a life in the broken world that we live in. And the other hard truth is that God isn't going to live up to your expectations or mine. That's not his goal. He's not out to meet the expectations that you or I have. His ways are not our ways. He thinks and acts and sees things differently than we do. He will act and sometimes just not in the way we want. And so there's going to be this gap between what we expect from God and what God actually does. And Moses, he's feeling that in Egypt right here and right now. And so unmet expectations is one source of discouragement. The second one from this story that relates to our life is the burdens of life. See, life is just hard sometimes, isn't it? And discouragement often comes from the things we experience in life. Like our work here, you see the effect of, of, of working tirelessly, the never-ending demand for more and efficiency. See, one of the effects of the fall is that our work is affected. That There'll be discouragement in our work. There'll be exhaustion that we'll never have enough. It affects our work. And that one way that we experience discouragement is related to our work, but it's also related to our relationships, our money challenges, things going on with our kids, the anxieties and fears we have about them, things not working out like we hope or wanted, the trauma we've experienced, the pain that comes with life, the political and the cultural shifts, the change, the uncertainty, the anxiety and depression, it all adds up and it comes down and weighs on us. And what about dashed hope? See, I, as I was thinking about this, I think there may be no greater source of discouragement than the experience of having hope held out for you and having it for a moment and then having it taken away. Like that experience of finally getting pregnant and the hope and the joy that comes with that and then losing that baby. See, discouragement and dashed hope, they're a part of life. And we've all felt it and we all experience it in some way. And so today, if you are in Egypt today, like Moses and God's people, if you're discouraged, if you're broken in spirit, if you're hurting and with, without hope, then the question that I have that this text begs of us is, in that place, what do you do? How do you find that place where you acknowledge the discouragement you have without ever losing hope? the same time? Well, first of all, here's how I'd answer that. If you are feeling discouraged and broken in spirit, you are welcome here. See, we're trying to be a church where the disillusioned and the discouraged and the hurting and the hopeless can feel at home. So first things first, we see you, we welcome you here, and we'll, we're willing to sit with you and walk alongside you as you experience what you are experiencing. And the message that I hope you hear from us 
is that th that's the message, that you are welcome here as you are. I hope you never hear from us, don't be discouraged or down. Pull up your boots, tighten your belt, stiffen that upper lip and get on with it. I hope you never feel that or hear that here. And so you're welcome here to feel that, to acknowledge that, to sit in that. And secondly, if you joined us last a couple weeks ago, we watched a video where one of our friends, Tim, shared about his journey of discouragement and hope when he lost his first wife and then found another person to journey with. It was a great video and you can go to our YouTube channel and you can check that out. But in that video, Tim says something that I think can help us as we process this tension between discouragement and hope. When his world caved in, he said, before the diagnosis, he's talking about his wife. He said, before I was, before the, diagnosis, I was on top of the world. And I remember being in the room with her when she got the diagnosis and I remember it was like the room just shrunk. It's so hard to describe, I was here and he goes like this and then he's like, I was down here. I was in the valley. But then he says, being in the valley, there's only one way to look and that's up. And that's what I did. I looked up and there was only one person there, Jesus. It's a beautiful testimony to what God is now going to lead Moses and us into starting in verse 6 as he invites Moses to do what Tim did in the valley, to look up. Verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name of the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So God's response to Moses is not, here's the time frame, Moses. Here's every step of the way. He's not going to say, here's how it's going to happen. Here's when it's going to happen. He doesn't even promise the circumstances for God's people are going to change. But what he does do is say to Moses, remember me and watch and see what I'm going to do. I don't know if you noticed it, but how many times did God say, I am the Lord in that passage? In fact, he says it multiple times and that's significant because it means that God wants Moses' eyes on him, not on Pharaoh, not on the people turning on him, not on the worsening situation in Egypt. He doesn't want his eyes on any of that. He wants his eyes on him. The text, God, he wants our eyes on him when we are living in Egypt because when we get our eyes on God, your spirits can actually be lifted up out of the valley even though you are physically still in the valley. This is God's answer to the discouragement and the broken spirits of his people. He says, look at me, remember me, watch and see what I am going to do. And so for the time we have left, this is what I wanna help us do. I wanna help us say, who is this God, this Yahweh? Help us remember who he is and what he is going to do. 
And so who is this God? Well, let me tell you first, he's a God who comes close. He is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who rules and reigns over all that he's created, one who is holy and completely set apart and beyond us and his creation. And yet, he's also a God who is personal, is relational, a God who comes near, who reveals himself in creation and through creation and to his people. He's a God who has come close to rescue his people who are in difficulty in Egypt. He's a God who is almighty. In fact, he's God almighty. That's a phrase that means he's all powerful. He's a God who has promised land and blessing and fruitfulness to his people. And he's a God who is actively working to bring that promise to pass. Nothing is impossible for this God. He is God almighty. It's how he's revealed himself. It's who he is. It's how he's acted in the past and it's how he's going to act again in the Exodus out of Egypt. This is who he is. He's the God who cares. He's God Almighty. But he's not just this. He's also a God who has bound himself to his people. He's committed himself to a specific people in covenant. He's entered into a binding agreement where he's promised his presence, his help, and a land of blessing. God will not leave nor forsake his people. He will not give up on them. He is faithful and committed to his people because he's bound himself to them. He's also, fourthly, a God who cares about what's going on in our lives. He sees, he hears, he knows what we face. It's not surprising to him. He's not wringing his hands. He knows and he cares and he is with you in those moments, just like he was with God's people in Egypt. And finally, he's a God who redeems and rescues. In chapter six, verse one, it says that Pharaoh will let his people go. It's going to happen. God is going to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt to a land of blessing, and he will unleash his unrivaled power to do it. Rescue is this God's work. It's not a maybe or a might. It's a promise. It's a certainty. God is like Moses. Remember, this is why I came. This is why I showed up to you at the burning bush. I will do it. I'm a God who rescues, and I'm a God who redeems. And what that means is God has come to free his people from harm and evil, to bring them out of prison and bondage to a life with him. He specializes in rescue, this God. He's going to do it in Egypt and he does it for us in Jesus. This is the God who redeems. This is the God who rescues. In the mess, in the discouragement, right beside those who are broken in spirit, this God is present and he has a special heart for the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is closer than you imagine in your darkest moments. And so God's message to Moses and to us in our discouragement is this, in the valley, look up, look at me. Your situation looks and it feels hopeless, but it isn't because I'm here. And what this means is that hope is ultimately connected to God, not to our circumstances even if those circumstances are incredibly difficult. And so today, you might feel captive to discouragement or depression. You might be hurting and feel hopeless. You might feel broken in your, in your spirit. Can I encourage you to feel it, to acknowledge it, to let it out, share that with God, share that with someone you trust, but can I also encourage you to remember that when discouragement gets deep, hope can rise. 
It can rise when we remember who God is and it can rise when we remember where the story ends because make no mistake, as hard as this moment is in Egypt for God's people, there's a good end to this hard situation. We're going to see it. God is going to win this battle with Pharaoh. He will set his people free. And there's a good end in Exodus, but there's a good end to the story of history. We have a hope and a future that we can anchor ourselves in even when our present circumstances are difficult. And so Egypt isn't the end. And I think God wants us to remember that today. I think God wants to step into that and remind us that even in Egypt, hope is here because God is here. And so in your situation right now, as we end, let me ask you two questions. In your circumstances, where are you looking right now? Where are you focused? Where are your eyes at? Is it on your circumstances? Is it on people or is it on God? Ask yourself that question, examine where your eyes are and what you're looking at. And then secondly, what do you have to do to shift your attention from whatever that is back onto this God we've talked about this morning? A God of hope, who's present, who cares, who's committed to you, who loves you, is merciful, and who is a rescuer and a redeemer. A God of hope, who is here. And maybe today as you look up from that place you're in and you see what Tim saw, you would see a God of hope, that he is here, and that can help you even in the time of discouragement.